Hi, everyone. It's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist, and I myself have experienced lots of sensory distortions throughout my life. Um, and I have had periods of intense tinnitus, dizziness, and vertigo, and that's really driven my desire to work with people who are suffering and struggling with chronic symptoms of tinnitus, dizziness, vertigo, but also hyperacusis, which is a sensitivity to sound that can feel like pain, uh, sounds feel like pain, and um, other various and unusual and less common conditions of the sensory system. And today I want to talk about neurodiversity and what that really means for us and where it falls in to living with chronic symptoms or moving through overcoming chronic symptoms and how this can be a really use useful framework to understand. So neurodiversity is a concept um, that Judy Singer, who I'm just going to bring that up. It's about how all of us have different brains that take information in in unique ways and use that information uniquely. And neurodiversity really extends to all people. However, we have different neurotypes within that diversity of, of how people process information, how they process visual information, sound, touch, all of it actually, emotion, um, spatial awareness, lighting. So there's a neurotypical people develop at a way that is considered to be average around the population and age appropriate. And neurotypical people thrive in a world that the world's built for neurotypical people. Someone who has a neurotype that's considered neurodivergent means that their brains have developed differently. And this does not make it a disorder or a pathology, but it means there is a difference in how their brains are assimilating and accommodating information. And so for neurodivergent people, and this refers to especially people on the autism spectrum, but also ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and a number of other um, and sensory processing disorders, these, these kinds of clusters of people have brains that are taking in visual information or sound information, and the brain isn't interpreting it and, and processing it in unique ways. And sometimes that means these people are highly sensitive to things like train stations, lighting, school rooms, crowds of people. Um, and the way we're taking that information in and making sense of it really gives us a sense of identity and who we are in the world um, so it's a really big deal understanding neurodiversity and understanding whether you're neurotypical or whether you might in fact be neurodivergent can be really helpful for how you get the best out of your brain. So I just wanted to jump in here and refer to Judy Singer. Ah, trying to get my page. Okay. So in the 1990s, an Australian autistic sociologist called Judy Singer first coined the term neurodiversity, and it was a way of explaining the natural and normal variation of brain function and behaviours across human beings as a species. So instead of having this medical model where we assume all people should have a sensory world that looks like this and their behaviours should look like that, and we should all experience the world just so. And anybody who doesn't fit this neurotype, this neurotypical box, is therefore considered to have a mental illness, disease, or disorder. Um, that's really, it's really throwing that theory or concept out the window and saying, how about 
we all have different ways of interpreting information in the world and we all have different ways of behaving in the world and perceiving the world and sensing the world and some of us are quite different and as a community of humanitarians it the right thing to do is to accept and acknowledge that different people have eccentric and quirky ways of being in the world and that is normal that we are not all little robot clones so just to recap being neurodivergent might mean you have you're very sensitive to the senses whether that be light sound touch taste smell all of it or just one or two it can mean that you need more sleep and more time alone because when you're out in the world, the brain is so busy highly filtering and processing and analyzing all of this invisible information that is coming into your body and brain that you're simply exhausted after an hour of being out in the world. And so there's this need to really shut down or um, go into a quiet, low stimulation space to recover. Um, not neurodivergent people and highly sensitive people tend to be more vulnerable to anxiety and depression, isolation, loneliness, uh, suicidal thoughts, unemployment or underemployment. And that's because the world is built for neurotypical people. So I actually identify myself as being neurodivergent and highly sensitive. And that's one of the big reasons why I work from home. I have my own hours. I have a lot of flexibility flexibility around how I shape my day so that my nervous system and my neurotype can be at peace with the rhythm of my day and the amount of stimulation and, and exposure or the way I relate to the world, I choose my pace. And I think it's really useful to think about neurodiversity in our, our own experience of being in the world because I think it's really tragic and I'd put myself in this a little bit is that when we don't understand our neurotype and if we're born with a brain that is high processing highly sensitive you know it can it can be such a gift to be so highly attuned to the world both within and without that if I try and push myself to keep up with my peers and my friends and go out to all the different parties or movies or dinners or with my career strive in the same ways they do, I'm likely to burn out, to melt down, to shut down. My brain will actually close over and say, I've had too much. I can't take this anymore. But if I keep on pushing myself to be like a neurotypical person, I'm A, I'm not really accepting the way my brain is wired and just who I am as a person and my identity and valuing my sensitivity. And I'm really setting myself up for failure because I'm trying to be something I'm not. And in a sense, it's like, you know, if we're born with jet black hair and that's our natural hair color, it's a lot of effort to always be constantly trying to make the hair blonde. And we can do it. We can dye the hair and we can put it on and sort of pretend that we're blonde and, and keep on covering up all the regrowth and roots and we can put all that effort in. But at the end of the day, it's just easier to have jet black hair. And it's the same with our neurotypes. Neurodivergent people get very good at pretending they're neurotypical. And what that means is when we go out in the world, we might be finding the glare and the light really painful, but we put on a smile and we pretend we're okay. And we might be finding so certain noises really irritating or frustrating or distracting and making it difficult to concentrate 
Um, we might be feeling nauseous from all the stimulation, overwhelm at a loud party. We may not be understanding everything that's going on in social groups between different people and the brain is collecting lots of data rapidly and we're getting more and more exhausted and we keep faking it and pretending that we're good and okay. And what that can look like is social mimicking. So we're following the facial features and body gestures and vocal tone of other people to fit in and to appear like a normal neurotype. And the reason we do that, and we're trained to to do this from a really young age, is because if we are highly sensitive or dramatic and we're 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 complaining about the lighting or the volume of the the um music, let's say, um, or we just don't want to go places, we don't feel like it, it's too overstimulating and our body is saying, no, I don't feel like going to school today. We get taught from a very young age to stop complaining, stop whining, toughen up, you know, we're just imagining it and we get really shut down and we actually get taught to stop listening to our body's signals. And by shutting down, we stop listening to ourselves, we stop connecting to our internal truth. Therefore, it's very difficult to connect to the outer world because we're not connected to ourselves. So we end up almost becoming this hollow, shallow person who's faking it, pretending and mimicking. And so even though we may have friends and we may be out and about and at surface level, our school marks look good and we're socializing, but on the inside, we feel hollow, we feel misunderstood and we feel desperately exhausted because daily life is an absolute push. So what can happen and how this um, lines up with tinnitus, dizziness, vertigo and chronic symptoms and chronic conditions is what I see in clinic and what I feel to observe professionally is that after years and years of pushing through and faking it and trying to appear neurotypical and trying to go to school and trying to develop that career and trying to date and just being out and about in the world but on the inside we're cringing and overwhelmed is that the body's actually holding a lot of unexpressed sensations and emotions and thoughts and ideas. This is all the invisible concepts that are entering us and swimming within our body. And we're not necessarily actually even aware of what our authentic feelings, thoughts and sensations are anymore because after decades of masking by necessity, our sense of identity is very confused which is pretty standard for this kind of situation, such as autism. And what can happen is the body can basically explode. We have a huge meltdown, which can look a bit like an adult tantrum, but it's not a tantrum. It's the body just expressing this volcano after years of masking and pretending. Or a shutdown, which is a little bit more like a migraine going into a dark room, not wanting to talk to anyone and just shutting away from the world for a period of time, just like this intense recuperation period or burnout, um, which would be a longer period of isolation, cocooning and retreat. And these are all normal ways that a neurodivergent brain and body try to reset itself, rejuvenate and recalibrate. And during these periods of pushing through and trying to keep up and trying to keep going to work and trying to keep pick up the kids from school and just pushing through to try and keep up with a neurotypical pace of life, that's when our tinnitus and our dizziness symptoms can really escalate. And the body is saying, not anymore. Stop pushing me. I need to slow down. This pace is not working for me. So that's really a huge part of the rock steady process is learning to honor 
our authentic inner world, our authentic sensations, emotions, ideas, beliefs, and unpacking them and really gently befriending this cocooning and retreat process. Um, And a huge part of that is also being brave enough and courageous enough to trust our brain and our body and to perhaps even shift our identity away from striving to be neurotypical if that doesn't sit right. And you, I think to a certain extent we know if we're neurodivergent. We've, we've felt different our entire life. The way we view the world and sense the world is not mirrored back to us. And there's this underlying question of, you know, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel right. You know, it's 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 pervasive. And so a lot of neurodivergent people will actually approach psychologists and say, I think I'm neurodivergent. Can I please be assessed? Or you can also self-diagnose and be self-determined in how you identify. There are lots of free online questionnaires you can look into. Um, that That's another way you can start to open up this conversation for yourself. But it is tragic, I think, to be born with a beautiful neurodivergent brain. And there are so many gifted neurodivergent people in the world who have gifted us you know, great comedy, great writing, inventions, you know, mathematical geniuses, um, organizers of functions. And to have a neurodivergent mind, in my opinion, is is not a disorder. Um, It can feel disabling if we feel that the outer world is expecting too much of us and not honoring our natural sensitivities and offering the supports we need too high to to function in society but when we have the privilege to identify as neurodivergent and develop a way of life and a pace of life that nourishes our brain and our needs and supports us to recuperate regenerate and remain authentic we can unmask we can lose that mask and we can be who we truly are and if that means we just feel like we have to shake it out and dance and move our body because we feel all of that nervous tension coming in through the body through the senses and we need to move it we can be quirky we can be eccentric we can be odd and I guess my vision for the world is that both neurotypicals and neurodivergent people live side by side with a sense of acceptance and kindness, that neurodivergent people are not being forced to look and behave like neurotypical people, and that um, neurodivergent people are also very accepting of neurotypical people's way of life, that it's not them versus us. Um, But, you know, just to be really aware that sometimes the loud tinnitus, dizziness and vertigo can actually be the brain's way of saying, I'm full, there's too much here, there's too much input, I'm not getting enough regulation time, I'm not getting enough recuperation time and I can't keep up this pace anymore. And and I really want to normalise that process. For many women, a lot of women never get diagnosed or or for autism or or other neurodivergent um, conditions. And the same goes for people of color. They often are never offered an assessment. And for LGBTQI plus community, they're often not assessed either. And what can happen is instead of getting a formal assessment for being neurodivergent and assessing accurately your neurotype, uh, which helps you understand you and helps you cultivate a lifestyle that supports you as you are beautifully healthy, 
Instead, what can happen is people are diagnosed with bipolar disorder, personality disorder, social anxiety, and it's just not quite hitting the mark. It's not quite right. It's just this abnormalizing, abnormalizing uh, medical messaging, which is actually, in my opinion, is a little tragic. Um, and obsessive compulsive disorder is another one. So something else I would like to say on this topic is if you are neurodivergent, your body's taking in this invisible information through the senses, through ideas, thoughts, conversation, lighting, sound, movement, touch, and your body's having to process it. And what that means is you might feel like fidgeting, right? You might feel like flapping your arms, moving, jumping. And that's because there's a lot of nervous information that needs to move through your body rather than accumulate in your body and get stuck as a neural pattern, which can then become quite symptomatic. So I really want to normalize this idea of obsessive compulsive behaviors that feel soothing, that feel comforting, that feel like a discharge and a release. Obsessive compulsive behaviors or repetitive bodily behaviors that feel good to you are therapeutic and they are now these days highly recommended to you to be used all day long, um, whenever you like, just intuitively following that body impulse. Whereas, you know, not, not too long ago, those odd bodily behaviours and fidgeting was really a big no-no and, you know, there'd be schooling and psychologists trying to block those and suppress those natural impulses when from a neuroplasticity point of view, that is unhelpful. So we really want to encourage this quirky, eccentric, obsessive expression of the body. And that might come through sound and song or repetitive words. It might come through interesting body movements. Um, it, it's basically all is welcome. Eccentricities, oddness and quirkiness is such beautiful diversity for our human community. Um, I guess the only side note would be so long as nobody's getting harmed in the process, both yourself or anybody else in the community. So it's just really reframing away from this medical abnormalizing model and what it then becomes is a social disability model which means let's say if I'm going to go out to a, a conference or to a, a festival I can attend and I want to attend you know I might have a neurodivergent brain but that doesn't mean I want to be at home in my bedroom all day so I want to go to this music festival but in going to that music festival I may need sensory breaks because it's very stimulating there's large crowds so maybe the festival could have um, quiet rooms for um, low stimulation for people who need to have that reprieve so they can come and go from the quiet room or the quiet space. Those kind of considerations make it less of a social disability and make um, public activities or events more accessible to more people. Um, so thinking about these kind of social disabilities and what we can do as a community to really advocate for people. Um, I think that's all I want to say for now. It's actually it's a, it's a really juicy topic. Uh, another really interesting point um, that I found in this journey of studying up neurodiversity is the conversation around whether we're sensory seekers or whether we're sensory avoiders. And this, again, this is really most likely something we're born with. However, I think after a traumatic event, for some people who may have been a sensory seeker, meaning their internal cues and sensations 
are actually really comfortable seeking a thrill on the outside, whether that be bungee jumping or loud music or vigorous dancing, that the body really feels a sense of homecoming and comfort and excitement in that external simulation. The body really yearns for it and wants it. It's another description of extroversion. Or so that could change after trauma. You may, for some people, um, they might hit even menopause or something, and suddenly they just want to be more internal and they know they might feel a jarring effect from the idea of a loud concert or vigorous exercise or bungee jumping. So it can change, but generally speaking, I think we're one or the other and we're born this way. Um, and so for people who are sensory avoiders, it just means that, that the sound of my body and th- the physical feeling of being in my body while I'm still can actually feel a little bit like a dance party. I have so much micro movement that I can personally connect to when I'm sitting still in my body that I don't need to go bungee jumping. I don't need to go looking for an external thrill. I have enough stimulation alive within me. So I'm by nature, sensory avoidant. And I'm also very careful about how I expose myself to stimulation in the outer world and making sure I pace myself with how much I'm inviting my brain to process. And what really helps me to find that balance is regular check-ins, regular pauses, regular body scans, and really deeply listening authentically to my limitations and the boundaries that my body is setting. Right. So being led by my body, letting my body lead my life as opposed to being in my mind and forcing my body to do things that actually the body doesn't want to do. So this is a huge part of the Rocksteady process is learning how to let the body guide those decisions about what the body and the brain are ready to filter and process as opposed to the mind making all the decisions and the body just getting dragged along um, choiceless and voiceless. So neurodiversity, it's, I think it's much more than a conversation around autism, um, although that there are a lot of really interesting reads. And I've got two books on my lap. If you're interested to read Different Not Less by Chloe Hayden is a great introduction um, and conversation. That's one story. And the other thing I would say, if you do feel like researching this for yourself, is just to listen to podcasts and read books by neurodivergent people. I'd probably be aware that when you're hearing neurotypical people talk about this, they'll have potentially a different flavor or a more theoretical approach. Whereas if you hear it from people themselves who are neurodivergent and they've had to live every day of their lives facing these struggles and challenges of being in a neurotypical world, you'll get much more understanding for where you fit into the conversation. Unmasking Autism, highly recommend this book. And it really um, explains why we have to mask, you know, and for some people that is actually a a genuine survival technique. And if they were to to flap around and and have these odd behaviours out in the world as a black American man, for example, um, police could actually come up and question them and that could put them in a really tricky situation. So for some people, masking is a genuine survival mechanism and not something they can easily undo Um, depending on who they're with and where they're around. Um, But hopefully as the years clock on, I'm hoping that more and more people can actually be authentic and unmasked and accepted in all of their quirky communication styles or bodily behaviours. That's my dream. And this book really sets us on that path. So highly recommend it. That's Dr. Devin Price.
unmasking autism. And this is an oldie but a goodie, The Highly Sensitive Person by Dr. Elaine Aaron. Um, we've spoken about this book on my Rocksteady, within my Rocksteady community and on my channel a little bit. And HSB or highly sensitive people cross over a lot with the autistic spectrum. Not everybody gets a diagnosis and lots of women, especially adults, will never get assessed for autism, but they may perhaps relate to being a high sensitive person. And just so you're aware, there's a lot of crossover in that community. In other words, some people who call themselves HSP may in fact be neurodivergent on the autistic spectrum. Where I sit with this is I think however people identify, it's important that we respect how people identify um, rather than create a conversation about how people should be or should label themselves or how they should present. I think it's a very personal exploration, um, very similar to the LGBTQI plus process of unmasking from um, sexual orientation if that was hidden throughout childhood and part of adulthood and then coming out, it's a very personal process. And how people choose to identify to a certain extent is a self-determined pathway. Um, and so if you're interested to learn more, I would encourage you to look for podcasts by neurodivergent people, read books by neurodivergent people, and potentially start by checking out a few of the free online questionnaires as well. And if you've got more questions, it can be very difficult, but finding a clinical psychologist who specializes specifically in adults and neurodivergence, um, that I think would be ideal. So yeah, that could give you some pathways to navigate and follow. I have deeply enjoyed learning more about neurodiversity. Um, it is quite a political topic and you'll notice that as you start listening and reading. But what I take away from it is that as neurotypical people and neurodivergent people, and in my in my Rocksteady community, we have both. We have neurotypical people with tinnitus, dizziness, and vertigo, and we have neurodivergent people with tinnitus, dizziness, and vertigo. And I actually think it's really beautiful that neurotypical people have a little insight into what it's like for the daily life of neurodivergent people because they're getting a sense of the sensory cluster and the claustrophobia and the isolation and feeling homebound, feeling debilitated, feeling overwhelmed. And so those neurotypical people are developing empathy and compassion, which is great because we need allies and we need people are going, who are going to help advocate for the social disabilities and struggles of neurodivergent people living in a neurotypical world. And for neurodivergent people in my Rocksteady community, I suspect that many of you are not diagnosed and will never be diagnosed and that this journey of self-identity and exploration and self-determining who you are and how you want to live your life could be very potent. And really, um, we're going to keep talking about this a lot in the Rocksteady community. So if you've got questions or insights, please bring them to our live monthly group calls or to the Grief and Soul Tending Circles, which are for our Rocksteady members. To learn more about the Rocksteady community or to visit my website for some the free starter kit, go to seekingbalance.com.au. I think this is a really rich and powerful conversation for all humans, both neurotypicals and neurodivergence. So it's much love and a bye for now.